You are listening to a message from Sound Words. To find information about our ministry, please visit our website at soundwords.org. You can also download our free app from iTunes or Google Play to access more great sermons. We are talking about future things as we often do at the turn of a year. We move into a new year. It's good to be reminded of what the Lord has planned for us as his people in future days. So we've been looking at the subject of the rapture of the church. That period in the future, how far in the future? Today, tomorrow, a week, a month, the years, we don't know. We often refer to the verse that Paul used in his letter to the Romans. Now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. 2,000 years have gone by, and we move nearer. But whether death takes us and we are transformed into the immediate presence of the Lord, or as the rapture, which we all anticipate and are to be living in light of. It puts everything in perspective. You know, you watch the news and things change and there's turmoil and you get frustrated. Then you come back and say, everything's under control. We're looking for the rapture. We're looking for the time when Christ will come in the air, call us as his people to meet him in the air and take us to the glorious place he has prepared for us in the presence of his father. That puts everything in perspective. So just want to review with you a little bit, then draw these seven points to a conclusion on the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Put up the 70 weeks of Daniel to start this, the chart, the 70 weeks of Daniel. Basically, it's 77s. 77s, you have to determine what. If you want to turn to Daniel, we won't be there long, but Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 says, 70 weeks. And that word translated weeks is really the word seven. 77s have been decreed for your people in your holy city. And it tells the things that will be accomplished in that 490-year period. It's 77-year periods. It's a week of years, not a week of days. So it's literally, and you have it in if you're using a New American Standard Bible, uh, 70 units of seven. It's literally 77s. You know, it's broken down. We won't go through it. We've done this, but the first 69 weeks, seven weeks, and 62 weeks. We're a total of 69 weeks. Uh, that's all we're looking at right now. Will bring us to the coming of the Messiah. After the 69th week, he is cut off. Verse 26, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, which are after the seven weeks. So you have to be careful that you're reading from verse 24 on. Seven weeks, then 62 weeks. So when he says after the 62 weeks, which was after the seven, so after a total of 69 weeks, 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off. And if you figure that out, it gives you the starting point, 444 B.C., and you put in uh, the leap years and so on. You come down to just about a week before Christ was crucified. And we are told 
that after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off in verse 26 of Daniel 9. Well, after 69 total weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. It doesn't say in the 70th week, the Messiah will be cut off. We'd say, well, I wonder why I didn't say that. Because the 70th week, there is a break there. Verse 27 tells us he will make a firm covenant. The prince who is to come, the Antichrist. We looked at this. So really, we've had the whole church age in here, the period of time in which we live. We are not part of the 70 weeks of Daniel. After the 69th week, you have the Messiah cut off. The 70th week, verse 27, he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, one seven-year period. So that's yet future. So even though the church is not revealed in the Old Testament, there are indications there that there is a period of time and there is seven years left in God's program for the nation Israel. So after the Messiah is cut off, shortly after, 50 days after, we have the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus appeared to the disciples and told them the Spirit would come shortly. He ascends to heaven in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes They speak with other languages. We have the beginning of the church. We have the church age in the tan color on the chart that we have on uh, display. That's the church age. That will end with the rapture of the church. We're looking at events associated with the rapture of the church, where the church is caught up to meet Christ in the air and then taken to the place that he has prepared for us in the presence of his father. John chapter 14. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come and take you to that place. But we still have seven years for Israel. Then after the seven years, Christ will return to the earth. And I was reading again, I was going to bring you, but I figured it wouldn't be helpful maybe to read a lot of quotes. There is an agreement. We understand the prophetic portion of scripture should be interpreted the same way we take prior scripture, the way we take scripture that has been fulfilled. We take it literally. And I was reading again, People of different persuasions claim to believe the Bible, but they believe future prophecy should not be taken literally. But they admit, if you take it literally, which they don't agree with, then you will have, like the chart we have, seven years yet coming, and then a thousand-year earthly first phase of the eternal kingdom, and then you move into eternity. And we just take it the way it unfolds. So even believers, Bible believers, who disagree with us about this, agree if you take the Bible literally, this is what you will end up with. You can read that, stop in sound words, pick up a book or two. They'll give you some information. Why don't we look at the points on the rapture to distinguish it from the second coming to earth. The second coming to earth does not occur until the end of the thousand-year millennium. 
then Christ will return to the earth. So the rapture is where Christ calls believers to meet him in the air. And then he takes him to the place he has prepared in the presence of his father. I take it that would be the new Jerusalem. So the rapture, Christ meets believers in the air. The bodies of believers are glorified. We are transformed. And that includes the living and the dead are both transformed in their condition. So those who have died, this is First Thessalonians 4, we don't despair. There's sorrow, there's grief, there's a separation, but it's temporary. So when Christ comes in the air, he'll call those bodies back to life. And the spirits of those believers who have been with the Lord, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, the scripture tells us, they will move back into those glorified bodies. They will be raised in a glorified state, conformed to the body that Christ had after his resurrection from the dead. Immediately following that, we will be translated who are alive at the coming of Christ and caught up to meet Christ in the air in an atom of time, literally it says in 1 Thessalonians 4. We will be transformed. We're here and we'll be gone. In an instant of time, we will meet Christ in the air with all those believers in the church age, from Acts chapter 2 on, who have believed in Christ, who have their glorified bodies. We have glorified bodies. And then he'll take us to the place he has prepared for us in the presence of his father. So Christ meets believers in the air. The bodies of believers are glorified. Believers are taken to heaven. That's the rapture. Now look at the second coming to the earth, which will occur seven years after Christ returns to the earth in great glory. And this is recorded in Revelation chapter 19. Heaven opens, he comes. And believers come with him in their glorified body. He destroys his enemies. That's what happens to set up his kingdom. All unbelievers are destroyed. So that when the kingdom begins, he only takes believers into the kingdom. In physical bodies, and in glorified body. Those who have died will be in their glorified bodies. Those who are alive and have believed in him in that seven-year period. So we have that 70th week of Daniel, that one seven-year block of time. Preceding that, the rapture of the church occurs. Every believer gets a glorified body. But during the seven-year period, there will be many, and particularly the focus again will be on Israel, will become believers. Many will be martyred. But some will live and survive till the end. They'll go into the millennium, the thousand years, in their physical bodies. And I take it they will never die. Because at the end of the thousand years, the unbelievers are sorted out of the kingdom. We go on into eternity. Those in physical bodies we'll still have children, we will be there in glorified bodies, and so on. So, we're talking about some of the evidences, and let me mention again John Walford's book. It's an older book, published in the uh, 1950s. At the end of that, in the appendix, he has 50 reasons for a pre-tribulation rapture. 
we are just sticking with seven pre-trib points. The pre-trib rapture of the church. Let's just review. We've looked at the first four. The focus of the 70 weeks of Daniel point to a pre-tribulation rapture. Because 70 weeks, 77, 490 total years are determined for your people and your holy city. And after the 69th week, 483 years, the Messiah will be cut off. The 70th week doesn't begin until the Antichrist signs his covenant with a nation for one seven-year period. That's the end of Daniel 9. Secondly, the ministry of the Holy Spirit through the church. Particularly, Christ talked about that in the book of John as he prepared the disciples on that last night with them for his departure. And he says, necessary I depart because I have to send the Holy Spirit to you in John 14 and John 15. Point three, these are points we've looked at in our previous study, the absence of the church in Revelation 6 to 18. What Revelation 6 to 18 does, you can really start with chapter four, but chapter four and five of Revelation talk about heaven and the heavenly scene and we'll be there. But we noted the church is not mentioned. It's mentioned, I think, 19 times in the first three chapters. And then it's not mentioned on earth until we get to uh, chapter 19 and it's returning with Christ after the 70th week of Daniel. So that's significant. The absence of the church in Revelation 6 to 18 after it's been mentioned repeatedly in the seven churches of Asia Minor in Revelation 2 and 3. Talk about that. Then the church is promised deliverance from coming wrath. The tribulation will be a time of wrath. It's a time of God pouring out his wrath upon the earth. So we are promised deliverance from that time of coming wrath why don't you look at revelation chapter 3 this is where we left off we looked at this and then we're ready for point 5 but in revelation chapter 3 verse 10 this is a message to one of the seven churches the church at philadelphia but remember the seven churches are somewhat seven, the number of completion, sort of pictures the church as it exists. And I take it all seven churches are in existence. And in one place of the world, they're undergoing persecution. Another place, uh, they're doing fine. But those seven churches, you can find yourself in your church there, in the seven churches. And in verse 10, the promise is given to the church at Philadelphia, because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing, that one which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. And again, each of these seven churches have promises given to them. And we can claim those promises because we are part of the church as it exists in the world today. And you can go and review these seven churches and which one do we see more like And all seven are probably in existence in this city as well as in the country and in the world. But the promise to the church is, I'll keep you from the hour of testing that's going to come upon the whole world. And that's the rapture. That's the promise of deliverance 
from God's anger, his wrath. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses 13 to 18, talk about the rapture of the church. Then in chapter five, verses one to 11, we talk about the coming tribulation, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is primarily talking about that kind of tribulation that will come upon the whole earth. So verse 18 of chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians says, comfort one another with these words. What? That we as believers are going to be caught up to meet. So we have pain, we have sorrow, loved ones die. But that's sort of like I used to use the example when my parents were living in New Jersey. We'd go back and visit them. We'd all cry when we were leaving. Oh, this is so sad. But we get over it. And then the next year we go back and then we go through the same thing again. We'd have a great time. Then we'd cry. Then we'd leave. Then we'd get over it. Then we'd, well, that's the way it is. You know, the loved ones that are in the Lord die. But that's a temporary separation. So comfort one another with these words is the way he ends that. That the dead in Christ will rise first, verse 16, and then we are alive and remain. So there's sorrow. Temporary separation that causes sorrow. But it's temporary. Now, it's been some time, but it's temporary. And at death, if the Lord hasn't come, my spirit will leave my body and I'll meet my loved ones who have died and been in the glorious presence of God. If I'm alive when he comes, nothing's lost. I just skip death. My body gets translated and transformed and I meet them in the air. Then chapter 5 opens up. Now is the time in epics. And you know therefore well that verse 2, the day of the Lord will come. And that day of the Lord refers to that seven-year period and the tribulation that comes and the disaster that comes on the earth. But verse 9 of chapter 5 encourages the church. God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you're doing. Takes us back to remind us of verses 13 to 18. Even physical death will be temporary for those of us who are believers. So... The church has promised deliverance from the wrath of God. All right, we're ready for point five of these seven reasons for the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. There must be a gap between the rapture and the second coming. Now, there must be a gap if you're going to take future unfulfilled prophecy literally. And again, I don't think there's a disagreement on this. As I read the various views of those who don't hold to the view that we're holding, they'll say, well, if you're going to take it literally, these future events, yes, there has to be a seven-year period and there has to be a millennium, and, but we don't think that that's the way you take it. So I think it's important that you understand why do we have this difference? Because the tendency is just to overlook. Well, at least we believe that Christ died on the cross, was buried, was raised from the dead. We're going to heaven. The rest of it, I'm willing to leave with the Lord. But the Lord has spoken. He told us that we are to comfort one another with these words. 
the words that he has given. We are to encourage one another. Chapter 5, verse 11, and build one another up with these words. So it's important that we understand it and we understand it correctly. If the rapture occurred at the second coming, if you remember the chart, if when Christ returns to the oath, we call that, we hold to a pre-tribulation rapture. It's going to happen before the 70th week of Daniel, the seven-year tribulation. There are those who are post-tribulational, premillennial. They believe after the rapture, but before the millennium. They take that there will be a earthly kingdom. Christ is going to come. But we have a problem. Everybody's getting glorified at the return of Christ. If we're just going to meet him in the air, then we're going to come to earth. Everybody's in glorified bodies. Everybody in glorified bodies do not have children. Jesus said we'll be like the angels. We will be without sexual desires and drives. Now, wait a minute. But then we find that when Christ returns to earth, he destroys all the wicked. And only those in glorified bodies are going into the millennium. There aren't any children. Well, then who, if you want to turn to Revelation chapter 20, and there are many other verses, but Revelation chapter 20, verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. In the end of verse 8, the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. Where do they come from? They came up on the bread plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints, the beloved city. Fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, that's a thousand years. Where are all these people that there are so many you can't number them? Because we'd had a thousand years of Christ's perfect righteous rule. There had been no pain in childbirth. There had been a thousand years and nobody dying except under the judgment of God, but there have been many who underneath have been seething. I don't agree with it, but I'm going along. I don't believe it, but it's growing. By the end of the thousand years, Satan is released from his prison, so he hasn't been there, so it's just been the old nature. Where did it come from? Well, those who have been in physical bodies were saved during the seven years, Israel in particular, they're going to have children because they're going into the millennium. We in glorified bodies won't have children. So there's got to be a gap between the rapture and the second coming to earth uh, for, first of all, during the seven years, there are believers. So we have this problem. We have seven years if everybody got a glorified body at the beginning of the seven years, where do these people that are going to rebel against Christ at the coming of the Lord at the end of chapter 19, then if it's at the end of the millennium, you know, pretty soon you have to decide, well, this is just talking generally about what's happening today. So most of those who take claim to believe the Bible but don't take future prophecy literally, all prophecy that has been fulfilled has been fulfilled literally. 
We looked at just a little bit of that. Christ was born at Bethlehem, just like the Old Testament prophesied. He suffered and died, just like the Old Testament prophesied, and so on. Well, where do we stop? Well, all that is yet to be fulfilled is just spiritualized. So you go anywhere from their post-tribulational premillennial, where they believe there's going to be an earthly kingdom, but the tribulation in the seven years, I guess we just wash out. The first 69 weeks of Daniel were literal. The 70th week of Daniel, now some would say, well, they go through a tribulation, but all believers have tribulation, but not like the 70th week of Daniel. And the promise to the church at Philadelphia in Revelation 3.10 was you won't see, you won't go through the, well, that church back then maybe. Well, then wait a minute. Do you want to just take the break? If we just take the Bible as it is. So Revelation 19, Christ comes back. There are unbelievers on the face of the earth. The believers are there. They have children. Those who are saved during that seven-year period and during a thousand years with no death except for the intervention of God because open sin is not tolerated. We won't go back to Isaiah 65 and some of the other passages, but well then, yeah, people are going to have children. They're saved in the seven-year tribulation. Now they're going into the kingdom. So there must be a gap between the rapture and the second coming. Believers are going to be judged. Back up to Revelation chapter 19. Look at verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Now, we've got the marriage of the Lamb, and then you have the marriage supper. We have this following the Oriental wedding, and we do this to a certain extent, not with the same breakdown, but the marriage of the Lamb has come, has occurred. His bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, white and clean. The fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So we've had the judgment of the church take place. The bride of Christ is the church. Now, if that's every believer, well, I guess now we're not talking literally anymore. We're just talking about a second coming. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Well, where did these come from? If the rapture occurs at the end of the seven-year period, so we go up, meet Christ in the air, we all get glorified bodies, those who have died and those who are alive. We looked at that in 1 Thessalonians 4. We get glorified bodies. We turn around and come back to earth with Christ immediately. That all happens after. Well, then only believers in glorified body are going into the kingdom. Because verse 11, all the unbelievers and following are destroyed. Then we have the thousand years. Well, wait a minute here. We're missing something. Well, we are not taking it literally any longer. So that's where people get into trouble. And you can read commentary after commentary. And some of the, they're just making up stuff in the book of Revelation. Let's just take it like it is. There's symbols there, but we use symbols all the time. Symbolic language in that, but that has a literal foundation. So verse 20, when the angel comes down and binds Satan in verses two and three, for a thousand years, 
Then verse 4, I saw thrones, those who sat upon them, and I saw the souls of those who had beheaded. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I take it those who have died in the Old Testament, those in Israel, as well as those who have died in the seven years, been martyred, because it's going to be anybody who claims to be a believer, they're going to attempt to put to death. I don't know. I read and I reread this and I think, well, just take it as it is. Just take it for what it says. Verse 6, blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and will reign with him for a thousand years. So then that includes those that were raptured, those at the second coming to earth after the 70th week of Daniel. Those after the rapture who are resurrected are all part of the first resurrection. It's a quality. It's a resurrection to life. Jesus talked about that in John's gospel, chapter 12. A resurrection to life and a resurrection to death. Separation from God. They'll reign with him. When the thousand years are completed, verse 7 of chapter 20, then we have eternity. We have the final rebellion and then we move into eternity and in eternity they'll still be people in their physical body because they believed in christ during the seven-year tribulation they survived the tribulation went into the millennium and they're believers so they survived the thousand years and that's why in chapter 22 of revelation verse 2 in the middle of the street on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit using his fruit in every month The leaves of the tree were for the healing or the health of the nations. There's no longer any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. His bondservants will serve him. We're back to the opening chapters of the Bible in the opening chapters of Genesis. And we find, yeah, now God completes what he started, the way he started. So there must be a gap between the rapture and the second coming so that believers can be rewarded And all that goes on, Revelation 19, Revelation 20. A sixth point. Again, I encourage you, if you haven't got Walford's book, uh, The 50 Reasons, because I've picked out seven. They're all good. The departure in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and 3. You want to turn back there. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Chapter 2 begins, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. I take it he's talking about the rapture that he talked about to them in the first letter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18, he talked about the coming of the Lord and our gathering together to him. Because... The persecution has gotten so intense, there are some thought that they were in the day of the Lord. They were in that final 70th week of Daniel. Because he says in verse 2, that you be not quickly shaken from your composure or disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us. To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So he can't be in the day of the Lord. Now the persecution and in places and places in the world today, it may be very intense. And those people were rereading again and saying, boy, 
You think the rapture is after? No. In the day of the Lord, it will be worldwide. The Antichrist will rule the world, particularly during the last three and a half years. There will be no place to hide. It will take the special preservation of God to preserve people. So, verse 1 of chapter 2 of Second Thessalonians, regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus and our gathering together into him. That's First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. The Lord will descend, he'll catch us up. So we comfort one another with these words. Down in chapter 5, verse 9, the Lord has not destined us for wrath. So this is a time of wrath. It's a day of judgment. But God hasn't destined us for that. So we're not in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord hasn't come. And then verse 3, let no one deceive you. It will not come unless the apostasy comes first. Now that word apostasy, we use it and it's generally used as a departure from the faith. When you depart from biblical truth, you have apostatized. But the word basically means a departure. Now we're going to talk about a noun and a verb. And if you don't remember what they are, it doesn't matter. Just remember we're talking about two different parts of speech. A noun, a person, place, or thing. A verb is the action. It tells you what it's doing. But the noun only appears one other time. It appears here unless the apostasy comes first. And it appears in Acts chapter 21, verse 21. We won't turn there. In fact, in the margin of the Bible, if you're new to the New American Standard, it says falling away from the faith. But I think that is a possible meaning. We use it that way. But the apostasy... It's just talking about the departure. In Acts 21, 21, he's talking about a departure from Moses. You departed from Moses. You're no longer believing what Moses has said. Now, the verb that this comes from is used 15 times in the New Testament. Let me read them to you for time. Acts 12, 10. Acts 12, 10. The angel departed from him. The angel departed from him. It left him. So it means a departure. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, Paul prayed that the demonic spirit might depart from me, might leave me, go away, depart. And Luke 4, 13, it says he left him. So those are just examples. The verb can mean you just depart, you leave. I think that when Paul says the departure comes first, he's talking about the rapture of the church. That's the departure. If we had translated the word instead of transliterated it, the Greek word is apostasia, apostasy. We just carry it over. We've transliterated over into English, apostasia apostasy from Greek to English, but we haven't translated it. The translation would be a departure or a disappearance. So the definite article, he's talking about the departure. Unless the departure comes first, what? The day of the Lord. 
will not come unless the departure comes first. What departure has he talked about in writing to these Thessalonians? Back to chapter 4 of his first letter as we have it. Verses 13 to 18. Verses 16 and 17 in particular. Where the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we shall always be with the Lord. That's every believer, the dead and the living. That's the departure he's talked about. So unless the departure comes first, then the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. He is the one in Daniel 9 who signs the agreement with Israel for that last seven-year period. The Antichrist, as we also refer to him, Pentecost and his things to come gives the whole list of names referring to the same individual. He is the lawless one, the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. This is the same thing that's said down in verses 7 and 8. The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains wills do so until he is taken out of the way. The restrainer is taken out of the way. The Holy Spirit, in the way he came in Acts chapter 2, is removed when the church is raptured. So it is unique. He indwells permanently every believer. That did not happen. Jesus Christ was bodily present with the disciples during his three years of earthly ministry. But he says the Holy Spirit is with you, but he will be in you. So even though the Holy Spirit was present, was active and involved, he was involved in the first three verses of Genesis chapter 1. The Holy Spirit brooded over the face of the deep. I mean, he's been present. He's God. He's omnipresent. But the way he came at the day of Pentecost to permanently indwell every believer, he will now be removed because the church is removed. So verse Seven, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. I take it we're talking about the Holy Spirit. He's the one who is restraining evil so that the church can be developed and built among the nations. When the Holy Spirit is removed in that ministry, and we saw that in John chapter 14 and 15, and particularly chapter 15, what, what the Holy Spirit will do when he comes to indwell you. He's going to have an added emphasis in his ministry. So verse 7, now he who restrains, only God restrains evil, God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Then verse 8, the lawless one will be revealed. Talking about the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness in verse 3. So we have a parallel. The restrainer is removed, the Holy Spirit at the rapture of the church, The lawless one is revealed. That's the revelation of the Antichrist. So if you're alive after the rapture of the church, you're an unbeliever. And maybe you'll remember this message. That the one representing the Western world who signs that agreement with Israel is the Antichrist. So I take it that the departure mentioned in chapter 2, verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians 2. The apostasy. I think he's he's talking about the departure. Not the departure from the faith, but the departure from this earth. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Verse 7, 
and the lawlessness at work and it will there's a restraint going on to the lawlessness until he's taken out of the way that's the Holy Spirit um, the one who is restraining evil today it, we think boy it's getting bad look at our country it seems to be unraveling but the Holy Spirit is still here he's still restraining evil when he is removed well look at the Gentile world before Acts chapter 2. It was primarily Israel and a few Gentiles. And uh, evil was unrestrained. But the Spirit came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment when he came. But he'll be removed in that ministry. So there'll be Gentiles saved during that seven years, but it's primarily a focus back on Israel. All 77, 490 years are for Jerusalem and the Jews. All right, we have to look at point seven. Point seven, the imminent return of Christ for the church. This is the promise and prophecy that Christ can come at any time. If the church has to go through the 70th week of Daniel and you're going to take the day of the Lord, that 70th week of Daniel, literally, we're going to know we're in it. Now, the Thessalonians wondered where they were in it, but it will be worldwide. I mean, we haven't seen anything like that. It will be a unique time. Imminency, not intimacy, but imminency. It can mean soon, but it doesn't necessarily mean soon. It means at any time. So when we talk about the imminent return of Christ for the church, we mean he may come at any time. He could have come a thousand years ago. And what would have happened after his coming, things would have quickly come together in the form that's described of the 70th week of Daniel. But God has been gracious. But every generation anticipates the coming of the Lord if they're truly believers, because the Lord may come. Now, if we've got the literal interpretation of Scripture, including Revelation chapter 6 through 18, we're not there yet. Well, we're not going to take any prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled literally. Well, then you can make it what you want. But the anchor is literally, I stress this because there is a departure. And again, I was read some quotes, but I decided not to bring them. Of Everybody recognizes it. There is a departure from interpreting the Bible consistently, literally. I talked to people that were at Indian Hills at one time. Not all of them. Don't say I'm putting everybody. But I'm going to just say, you know, I just don't know. I just leave it with the Lord. But wait a minute. If I leave it with the Lord, I come and see what he says. And I want to be careful because now I'm going to decide how far do I go with the literal interpretation? Well, future prophecy, the book of Revelation, that's just symbolic to tell us about how we should live today. Well, that may sound nice, but it's not accurately handling the word of truth. We are to handle accurately the word of truth. This is serious business. The imminent return of Christ for the church. We've looked at numerous passages. Come back to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which... 
Also, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to subject all things to himself. How is he going to do this? Because he's God. He has the power to subject everything. And it doesn't matter whether this body's put in the grave, it returns the dust. God's going to call it back. And our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul says in verse 20, we eagerly wait for the Savior. That's the same thing he wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4. We're going to be caught up to meet Christ in the air. But wait a minute, what about all these people? In our glorified bodies, and we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, both those who have died and those who are alive get glorified bodies. And in glorified bodies, we're going to be like the angels. We neither marry nor given in marriage. We don't have children. Where are all these rebellious people going to come from? Well, it's just talking generally about today. Says who? I mean, all of a sudden now, you have to interpret the Bible literally. You want to be very careful that you interpret it literally. The Gospels and the Epistles. But future prophecy, well, you know, there's symbols there. Well, there's symbols in a variety of places. But a symbol is a representative of something that is real. Just all of a sudden, I'm just going to write off future prophecy and just say, it's all just happening today. Then we have those who just say Christ is going to come. We're going to go into eternity. That will be it. They claim to be believers in the death, burial, and resurrection and all of that. But they are amillennial. They do not believe in the millennium. Some of you are Lutheran background. It's the all-millennial view. But wait a minute. Who says I'm going to die for the truths of the word? But those that have yet to be fulfilled, I just think it's going to be glory and we'll get there and that's, that's all I'm concerned about. But wait a minute. You need to back up with that kind of attitude. And I'm not saying everybody who has a different view of unfulfilled prophecy is not a believer. The Lord will have to sort that out. The Roman Catholics are all millennial. Now, they're different than Protestant believers who are all millennial. But when it comes to prophecy, we're there and they're in it. And they have the Pope who is the representative of Christ on earth. And we have the kingdom. So pretty soon, and this is what concerns me about the departure from dispensationalism that we see in our day grieves me but it does not disappoint me because we're moving more and more away from the truths of the word where will it stop well we won't take prophetic things literally well you know we've established a pattern and it's not this generation but it's the next generation then the next generation by the time you get to the next generation they're just yeah I believe the Bible I go to church but We just take it generally. And I don't believe necessarily in a heaven and a hell. So we want to be careful. We hold the truth because it's truth. That doesn't mean we understand everything exactly, precisely. But I want to be careful. I establish a pattern. Interpret the Bible literally. Historically, grammatically. Period. I'm going to do that with... Prophecy that has been fulfilled, prophecy that will be fulfilled. 
Well, we would agree on prophecy that has been fulfilled. Everything regarding the first coming of Christ is fulfilled literally. And then we get a picture of what it's like living in the world. That might even make good preaching, but it's not accurate preaching. It's not accurate truth. So we want to be careful that we hold to the truth. Well, we're going to stop there. I have a few summary points, but you'll get those at another time. We're looking for the rapture of the church, the coming of the church, what Jesus said. That's what we ought to be looking for. When the Holy Spirit will so move that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord, and we will forever be with the Lord. And that means when he returns to earth, we'll be returning with him because we'll be with him. We'll rule and reign with him in that kingdom he's going to establish. But there'll be people in physical bodies. I say, boy, I don't know. How is this all going to work? I don't have to know everything. I just have to know what God's revealed. And then I just take the rest of it. I'll find out when I get there. I'm sort of anxious. Not so anxious to die, but anxious to see the Lord. But I'll just hold my breath and go if the Lord doesn't come. But I'd rather he comes. And I'm sure you would too. Some of you who are younger have more time. But if he's coming this afternoon, we're all going at the same time. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the riches of your word. Thank you, it's a true word. Thank you, it was given for us to understand, to comprehend, and to live in light of. Thank you for the encouragement it is to know that Jesus Christ will come for us in the air, to call us, to meet him in the air. In an instant of time, the dead in Christ will rise and then we who are alive will be caught up, transformed for eternity. And then you will complete the promises, the prophecies you've given regarding your people Israel, the terrible seven years that are going to come upon the whole world, followed by the return of Christ, the thousand years which will not change human hearts, and then eternity. We have much to look forward to. We want to be faithful. Pray that we will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sound Words, a ministry of Indian Hills Community Church. Make sure to download our app from iTunes or Google Play for more messages like the one you just heard. If you would like to contact us, please email soundwords at ihcc.org or give us a call at 402-483-4541.